Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast, where we talk about all things related to athletic performance, rehabilitation, and wellness. My name is Michael Falk, and I'm hosting today's episode, and I'm joined by Dr. Chris Killian. Dr. Killian is a partner at Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin, a fellowship-trained shoulder surgeon that specializes in shoulder surgery. He is highly skilled and has a lot of experience in working with a variety of populations to help them recover from different causes of shoulder pain and injuries. Today, specifically, we take a deep dive into shoulder instability, the two main types of shoulder instability, the best ways to manage your shoulder instability, whether you need surgery post-shoulder dislocation, how quickly you should see a doctor, and many other things related to the rehabilitation and recovering from shoulder instability. This is a great podcast. Dr. Chris is very knowledgeable, and I think you will really get a lot out of this episode. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode. I am joined today by Dr. Chris Killian, an orthopedic surgeon at Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin that is fellowship trained and specializes in shoulders. And we are going to talk about shoulder instability. So Chris has been on the uh, podcast, or excuse me, Dr. Killian has been on the podcast before. Uh, we were actually just talking off air, I think it was three or four years ago, back in COVID season one, when we were at home, uh, Zoom quarantining, and uh, we recorded a, a podcast with Dr. Killian and Dr. Mirko, kind of talking through a variety of orthopedic topics and um, wanted to get on. We, we have not created a lot of content and educational information around shoulder instability. So thank you for your time to come on today, Chris, and, and share some wisdom. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Actually, like you said, it's been a while. I'm um, glad we can do this in person and not uh, <laughs> during COVID era or during quarantine. But yes. Um, yes, this is wonderful. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, let's just kind of dive right into it. Um, I'll post the old podcast. If you want to know a little bit more about um, Chris's background, you can find it on the on the show notes and listen to that old episode. So when we start talking about shoulder instability in general, there's really sort of two types, kind of the traumatic shoulder dislocation instability, and then people that have like atraumatic or sometimes called congenital um, shoulder instability. So what are some of the differences between kind of what you might see with those two things? Uh, yeah, so you're, you're correct in that they're really broken into two kind of big categories, traumatic and atraumatic. Um, you know, traumatic um, it obviously happens from an event. It's usually um, athletic participation, um, what have you, where um, usually there's a, a force that gets directed to the shoulder where it ends up um, creating this instability where the shoulder pops out of the socket. Um, the majority of the time, um, it's anterior, it goes out the front. Um, that's about 90% of the time. And then about 10% of the time, it's posterior, which is much less common. Um, that's more common <clears throat> people that have number one, number one, and probably most common is uh, seizure disorders. Um, so someone has a seizure and you have the dislocate, it's, it's more likely to be posterior. Um, uh, and then potentially if you're a big posterior directed force, like linemen, like playing football, those type of things where you're more likely to have that type of uh, issue. So that's traumatic. Um, those are potentially more likely to be surgical. I know we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and then there's atraumatic. So, um, stereotypically and more common, it's a young adolescent person, um, tends to be a little more, more female. Um, and it's usually real thin, um, uh, people that have this kind of laxity in their joints. So, 
Um, and and that is kind of a whole separate issue. It doesn't have to do with traumatic force. It just has to do with laxity in their joints. It tend, we tend to call that more of a, like a multidirectional instability. Um, so again, anterior, posterior, um, it goes um, essentially all, kind of all directions in terms of that stability. And it has to do with um, the, the ligaments and the capsule and the tissue just has extra laxity to it. Um, and that doesn't allow for the forces to kind of compress that head into the socket. Um, and the majority of time, the vast majority of the time with those type of issues, it's a non-surgical issue. So that has to do with therapy and rehab. And, you know, the answer, answer usually is therapy, 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 and then more therapy. Yeah. So two big kind of categories. Interesting. Do you, and I don't actually even know the statistics of this, um, but what do you see a lot more of more atraumatic or more of the traumatic dislocations? Much more traumatic. Um, it's much less common than I'm seeing the, the multidirectional person. Um, I, I'd have to, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the percentage. Um, but at least in my practice, I would say at least 90% yeah. are probably that traumatic category. It's much more rare that I see the atraumatic multidirectional instability. And again, it's usually tends to be a, you know, thin 15, 16 year old female. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that lines up with, you know, we see some of the multidirectional stuff and like swimmers are like one of the classic, like mm -hmm. almost like maybe performance enhancing to almost dislocate your shoulders in some of the strokes. Sure, sure. Um, and then, yeah, just much more of the, the football player, hockey player, whatever that slips and falls off a boat. Yeah, or, exactly. Yeah. And yep. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Certainly. I mean, actually, let me also say with that, um, those atraumatic kind of categories, then there are also, you know, in that kind of congenital or, or, um, biologic reason for it most commonly what we think of is one called like Ehlers-Danlos where you have like a essentially a collagen disorder um that leads to that laxity it can also be like things like Marfan syndrome these different congenital things you actually need a genetic workup for those yeah. um I, and I, I want to say one or maybe even two people that I've uh, sent um to get genetic testing where one ended up being Ehlers-Danlos and whatnot yeah. so it, it uh it definitely does happen yeah. um and there's actually a whole scoring system that it has to do with that atraumatic um, multidirectional uh, instability where you're a little more likely to have potentially a soft tissue disorder where you actually, there's a scoring system called the Baton scoring system. And if you have hyperlaxed elbows and knees and finger joints and, you you know, all these different kind of flexibility tests, um, you're potentially more likely and then you're maybe more suitable to get actually tested. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So, well, let's dive into the traumatic side, just especially since it's more common and, uh, one of the uh, things that is spurring this recent uh, content creation surrounding uh, shoulder instability is that I dislocated my shoulder about, I don't know, five or six weeks ago now. Um, so, you know, personal experience is uh, something that we want to dive into. So um, what are some of those common mechanisms? Is it mostly contact that's going to like lead to shoulder dislocation or certain positions? Like what kind of leads towards that? Yeah. So, um, yes, contact, but also it's usually a kind of a way that your, um, arm is being directed kind of away from your body. So it's usually we call it abduction, um, which is kind of your arm coming out of the side and external rotation. So rotating your arm kind of back, almost like a throwing position. Um, in that position, you are, um, then kind of directing the humeral head 
anterior or forward and kind of inferior on the glenoid or the socket. And that's what um, usually then leads to a shoulder popping out. So especially people that have had instability in the past or have surgery for it, that's the position that we kind of get nervous in. When we test people, they feel that uh, called an apprehension sign where they're apprehensive because they feel like the shoulder is going to pop out in that position. So that's kind of the, the dangerous position. So you're, you know, your, your, your arm is being positioned in a way that's, uh, you know, making that more likely essentially. Yeah, no, I, I agree. That's kind of what we see a lot is people that fell in that position, got hit in that position, some level of contact or like a football player, somebody that has their arm way out to the side and like trying to make a tackle and someone like runs through it, exactly. something like that. It's very rare to see somebody, um, I don't want to say impossible because I guess anything can happen, but like if your arms are close to your body, very hard to have your shoulders pop out. Exactly. It's almost always when your hands get out yep. away reaching for something. Exactly. Something That's like that. like, yeah, football, basketball, all those things where your kind of arms are up and in extreme positions when you're uh, potentially being contacted. That's when it's high risk, obviously. Yeah. Um, so following shoulder dislocation, um, does, uh, does someone always need to go see a doctor after um, their, after their acute dislocation? Yeah. Um, so obviously very good question. So there's a lot of scenarios to, to it. I, I would say in general, yes, I would recommend it just because there are lots of different potential injuries or things that can happen, uh, as a result of it. Uh, I don't know if we want to go through yeah. the specifics yeah. of what, what perfect. can happen to the bone and the tissue. But so when that happens, you, um, so let's say like a stereotypical, like we'll say a 16 year old athlete or whatnot, um, when that, when they dislocate their shoulder out the front, they're tearing the front and bottom part of the labrum and capsule, uh, specifically the labrum, but that labrum, um, acts as a bumper, um, to the, to the socket. And also let me say the socket is the, called the glenoid and it's a very shallow socket as opposed to like your hip socket, which is a really deep socket. So that's why you don't hear much about hip instability. That's ball and socket joint too, but it's a really deep socket in the hip shoulder is very inherently unstable because it's a shallow socket. So it has to do with the um, muscle and soft tissue constraints that keep that ball and socket together. So if you lose part of it, when you dislocate your shoulder, you're losing that bumper effect on that very shallow socket. And then even by just having one instability instance, um, you are then more prone to continuing to dislocate in the future. Um, and depending on how bad your injury was in the first place, that also tells us how much more likely you are to have it happen in the future. So um, some people will just tear that, that, that labrum. Um, also somewhat common is to actually chip off a little fleck of the bone. <clears throat> That's called a bony bank heart injury. Um, and when that happens, you're actually losing some of the bone. It's like a, like a golf tee almost here. If you lose part of the golf tee, you're more likely that that ball is going to fall off. Um, so we want to know that. Um, also we can usually see on the x-ray, um, um, and, uh, MRI, um, when you dislocate, when that ball pops out, um, and it's staying out for at least a, a period of time before it's put back in, um, it creates kind of a dent in the back part of the humeral head. That's called a hill sacs lesion. And the bigger that dent is, the higher that instances of potential instability, stability in the future. Um, I would also say additionally, when the shoulder's out, if it stays out, it needs to be obviously put back in and you want to have it examined by someone to make sure that it is in. I've actually had some people that it's usually a little bit more traumatic um, when it happens, but where it's been out and stays out. And for one reason or another, they didn't see someone and they come in. And if it's been out for several days, it actually creates a really big problem because now you've got a huge dent 
uh, on the back of your hemorrhal head. You've got, you've, uh, you will lose, you, you, it kind of wears away the front part of the socket part of the bone, and it makes that instance of instability even higher in the future. And then you have to get much more invasive in, types of, in the types of surgeries that you can do and whatnot. So um, there's multiple reasons why, yes, you should be evaluated. Um, and also lastly, it's a whole kind of separate maybe category, people that are older, you know, let's say you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, um, as you get away from that young athlete, as you get older, you're more likely to potentially tear your rotator cuff. And if you tear your rotator cuff, that's something we definitely, if it's a decent sized tear, we want to fix and we want to fix sooner um, because it has to, um, you, essentially the outcomes are better the sooner you can get to those because um, eventually they can even become not repairable if you've left it for you know six months or longer, depending on how big it is. So you really want to be evaluated because a, a big rotator cuff tear that's missed can really be detrimental forever for your shoulder. You can never have a shoulder, normal shoulder again, potentially, if you kind of miss a big injury like that. Yeah. No, I think that lines up. And and uh, we, that's kind of what we always say is, especially if you've never dislocated your shoulder before, because um, we've had people that have come in for like a free free consult or something in our office. And it's like, yeah, this happened. My shoulder slipped out. I'm feeling better now. It's like, well, if you've never dislocated before, we always want to make sure you go see yeah. uh, a doc, especially after that first one, because it's usually like the biggest injury. Yeah. And that's what I will say, you know, in really in recent years too, and I've even started to change my practice because there's more and more really good data coming out that says that, you know, if, if you're a high risk person for continued instability and high risk would be young, uh, young athletes. So let's say, you know, you're below 18 or 20 and you're still playing like high level sports, especially competitive contact sports. Um, and there's also scoring for a system for this as well, having to do with how big the hill slacks lesion or the bank heart lesion might be. But especially the biggest things are if you're a young competitive contact athlete and you've dislocated your shoulder, even one time, there's more and more studies saying, actually, even after that one dislocation, you should consider having your shoulder operate on and fixed because every time in the future that you potentially pop out, um, you are further damaging your shoulder. You're more prone to having arthritic changes as you get older. Um, and those, you know, that hill sacks lesion, that bank heart lesion, all those injuries that are happening to the glenoid and the humerus get worse every single time. And it makes it harder to fix in the future. So if you just have one instability event and you're a high risk person, um, you sh should have a serious conversation about whether you should have it fixed. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Cause that was going to be, um, kind of one of my next questions is, is does it always require surgery? And so, um, then I guess since it's uh, research is leading towards like, yeah, more often than not, it's probably beneficial to have it fixed. What about, what about timing? Like we're in the middle of football season right now. Let's say someone does have one of these instability events, but they're kind of semi-functional, mm -hmm. able to keep playing a little bit. Is it something that has to be repaired right away? Is it something that can maybe wait till after the season? That's a really good question. Um, it's, it's obviously a case by case situation you know, position, uh, how serious they are about the game and level that they want to play at. Um, there are different types of braces that we'll sometimes give to people like a celly brace or things that help actually kind of limit that abduction, external rotation um, motion. So yes, it's possible to potentially get back during that season and then maybe you do it at the end of the season. That's yeah. something that we'll sometimes do. Um, knowing that you're kind of taking a risk though yeah. i mean because it could potentially still re-dislocate and then again you're essentially creating further damage as you go but it is possible to get back if you're in the middle of the season and then potentially we'll do it just at the end of the season yeah no i think that's um really good really good information for people um one of my staff members had a really good question what if a 
you know, athlete, whoever dislocates their shoulder, it's out of, out of joint and should they put it back in themselves or should they That's wait to go see somebody? Great question. So, um, we, to, you know, sometimes you see like in the movies, like lethal weapon, everyone thinks about like Mel Gibson popping his shoulder back in. Yeah. I would not do that. <laughs> um, so, um, cause that actually is not the way that we relocate a shoulder ever. That was just Hollywood. <laughs> so you don't just slam it against a big, you know, big wall or whatever it is that does not, um, it's not a good idea. And you can actually create further damage by doing yeah. that. And you can even break your shoulder doing that. Um, so, um, some people do just kind of feel like they can kind of let their muscles kind of go loose and kind of wiggle it back in. That does sometimes happen to people. I would still say you probably want a trained professional to do it. Um, but, you know, athletic trainers or therapists, whoever is on the sideline, a lot of times they'll know the reduction maneuvers. But if you're kind of by yourself and you can you can get somewhere, I would recommend you have like a professional do it. And don't do the, the Hollywood way where you just slam it against something. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what we tell people. I'm like, yeah, there's like usually it goes back in pretty well but like there's nerves and arteries and other stuff and if yep if something gets in the wrong yep. position you can end up with a really really big problem yep exactly and more and more than anything i'd say you can actually even i mean with it out of position if you slam it you could break the front of the socket or people sometimes people actually do break the when you dislocate and the, the shoulder goes out the greater tuberosity which is the outside outside part of the bone that has some of the rotator cuff attached to it um that oftentimes will actually break off sometimes it'll be a completely non-displaced fracture sometimes it's completely displaced where it's moved um those I mean, minimally or non-displaced ones if you do it wrong or you're putting a ton of force through it you can actually displace it and then you're going to maybe require a bigger surgery as a result so again all the more reason why we want to evaluate it we want an image showing it and we want to know exactly what's going on before we really kind of go crazy on it yeah no i think that's um awesome so i guess from from your standpoint as a physician and i know you don't do rehab like day in and day out but yeah. what what does the rehab process look like maybe for someone that doesn't go through surgery and then kind of kind of time frame are people talking about if they do end up having some type of bank card repair or something like that so they can get back to their activities? Yeah. Um, well, as you yourself are probably going through right now, um, you know, you, initially we usually kind of sling people for a, a, a week or two just to kind of let the soft tissues kind of um try to get back to somewhat uh, close to normalization. Um, I like, to, I would say I kind of like the shoulder and the capsule to kind of get a little bit tight. Um, and that's why when you're not moving it, everything kind of constricts down. And again, we'd rather have you a little bit tight than unstable. Yeah. Um, so uh, I initially do that for about a week or two. And then we slowly get going with um, progressive rehab. I never, you know, obviously you want to avoid uh, abduction, external rotation or that kind of throwing position. Um, as you've done, you do start out with some isometrics where you're just kind of working on those muscles to get them um, moving or con contracting again. Um, and then, you know, we focus on your rotator cuff muscles. Your rotator cuff is really a, that kind of dynamic constraint or that kind of pulls that ball into the socket. And then proper scapular mechanics are kind of the things that we usually focus on. And then, as you can see, you can actually progress back fairly well. Um, and getting back to sports within, depending on the sports or activity, you know, month to somewhere in there potentially. That being said, I have people that have gone through that and then they still kind of remain unstable and we have to go and fix them. Um, again, you're less likely to go to be unstable again if you're not that kind of contact uh, young athlete. Um, and I will say as people get older, their shoulder tends to tighten up a little bit more. So like that person that's 40 or 50 that dislocates and did not tear their rotator cuff, they're probably a little more prone to being stiff 
um, which I, again, I'd rather take, but that person usually isn't unstable unless they have another big traumatic event. So their shoulder just kind of naturally kind of tightens up a little yeah. bit more. Um, as far as post-surgery goes, um, I usually uh, have people in a sling for a month. Um, again, come in, three to four months, really. Or excuse me, uh, three to four weeks. Um, and during that time frame, they can come out of the sling daily, moving their elbow, wrist, fingers. Um, I'll let them do some pendulums and maybe some light isometrics. Um, and then we start progressing them. Um, kind of, I usually type, say for contact sports, it's between three and four months, usually closer to four months or so, um, to getting back all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's slow. It's progressive. People do, um, I, I just kind of tell people they, they might lose a little bit of, uh, especially external rotation. So, you know, like, especially if you put your elbows in at your side and you rotate out, you look at someone that's you know had surgery even a year ago they sometimes maybe have a little bit less there a little bit less with that abduction and external rotation which most people barely ever notice but it's something again we're kind of willing to sacrifice so that we're stable yeah um, um i will also say sometimes depending on the surgery we can get into the types of surgeries that we do again yeah. um there's um depending on the surgery if we do like what's called a ladder j um where you add more bone um to it sometimes even at times we'll even let people go maybe a touch sooner, maybe closer to three months where I train. We would usually let people get back to contact sports around three months. Um, and do you want to do, should I, yeah, I can, no, I think that'd be awesome yeah. to go through some surgery, mm-hmm. surgical options or yeah. I was like talking to people about like with the surgical options, like questions that they should be asking their docs or kind of how do you know, some just education about like why one versus the other. Yeah. I think it's cool. Yeah. So, um, probably the most standard surgery at this point in terms of, um, what we do for shoulder instability is called just a, uh, arthroscopic bank heart repair. Um, <clears throat> and with that, so arthroscopic, you know, sp- t- smaller pocal incisions for a bank heart repair, we are putting small anchors. Usually most people use plastic or maybe even all suture, um, uh, anchors that go into your socket or your glenoid, you know, usually from like, if you think about your socket as, as like a clock face, usually kind of from the six o'clock position all the way up to about the three o'clock position or so, where you usually put three or four anchors, those go into the bone. And then we take, um, these are kind of a passing device and we go through the labrum and actually the capsule. We try to, um, uh, put those sutures through it. And then we essentially tie it or you use whatever tensioning device we'd like to use. And that, brings up that labrum in the capsule to recreate essentially a bumper uh, on the front part of the shoulder. So <clears throat> so that's that's kind of the most common way to do it. <clears throat> in order to do that, when, when we look at x-rays and MRIs and sometimes, sometimes CT scans, um, we look at the amount of bone loss and that actually helps direct the surgery that we're gonna do. So we look at the amount of bone loss potentially at, at, at the glenoid is probably the first thing that we look at because um, the more you dislocate it, or especially if you have an old bony bank cart, and where you lost part of the bone on the socket, um, the more instances you have, you tend to, again, wear out that front part of the socket. And as a result, now we've got less bone to work with, and then you're likely more likely to be unstable going forward. So we look at that. We also look at the size of the Hill Sachs lesion, that, again, that, that big dent in the, um, in the humeral head. Um, the bigger that is, the higher the chances it's going <clears> to <throat> engage that area and pop out. So we take measurements to look at how big those are. And if it's essentially over a certain threshold, then we're more likely to not just do that simple bank heart repair anymore. Um, um, so the things that we can do or add, which I do somewhat commonly, there's a thing called a, so if you do a bank heart repair, if the hill sacs lesion is really big, that depth on the humeral head, if that's really big, I'll add what's called a remplissage 
which is a French word, I think it means to tighten or to, excuse me, to fill, to fill that nose. And what that, what we do is we put anchors actually in the back part of the humerus in, in that dent. And then we actually grab some of your posterior capsule and rotator cuff. So we grab that and we tie it into that big dent in the, in the humeral head. And what that does is it fills that dent. So when our arm externally rotates, it's not going to catch that dent and pop you out. Um, so that's called a remplissage, and that's actually been really shown to actually decrease r- repeat instability rates by adding that. So I've been doing that more and more, actually. Um, I'd say almost half of the bank cards I do now, I add a remplissage. <clears throat> and then, again, there's certain measurements where if it's too much bone loss, especially on the glenoid side, you've lost so much of that golf tee to hold the ball on. If you lost, lost too much of it, then you can't just do a soft tissue procedure anymore, and you need, need to add bone. Um, and the main way, there's a couple different techniques, but the main way that we do it, it's called the ladder J, which is another French word, which I don't know what that one means, but the French developed a lot of the stuff, as you can tell. But um, ladder J is where you actually cut um, the coracoid bone, which is part of your scapula or shoulder blade. You can actually feel it on the front part of your shoulder, kind of right next to your deltoid in that little crease next to your puck. There's that bony prominence there. And so it's an open surgery, um, and we make probably about a you know, six inch six inch incision there. And we go all the way down to the coracoid. We actually cut that coracoid bone, <clears throat> and then we come through your front rotator cuff tendon, and we actually flip that part of the bone, and we put it on the front part of your socket. Um, and then we usually hold it in place with usually two screws. Couple, there's a couple different techniques on how to do it, but what that does is it creates a larger socket so that there's more distance for the humerus to travel so that it doesn't pop out of the joint. Yeah. So, um, and that's a great surgery. You know, it's a bigger surgery. You're cutting some of the bone and whatnot, and you want to do someone that's experienced uh, doing those type of surgeries because um, you are closer to some of the big nerves and blood vessels and stuff when you do that. But um, it's a really good surgery that um, uh, that works and, uh, again, shows to decrease the absolute, the repeat instability uh, rates. Yeah. No, I think that's why we always tell people, like, it's really important to get to get doctor that does a lot of not just like whatever but like the specific thing that you have because there are there are sometimes more advanced techniques that not everyone does or knows how to perform or knows how to do the right way and then we also tell people like this is why it's really important not to compare your recovery to your teammates or your friends because like you both might have dislocated your shoulder on the same day mm-hmm. but if you had two different surgical procedures uh-huh. your recovery is going to be different and That's it's right. not fair to either of you to like hold yourself to the same yeah. time and different right? initial injuries too one exactly. might have a big bony bank card or a big hill sacks and all all that stuff that, that really does matter in terms of what your recovery is going to be yeah no i think uh i think that's awesome i think that really um kind of gives people a nice deep dive on on the differences between those and and the differences between kind of the atraumatic versus the traumatic and um you know that you need to go get a doc get an image figure out like what's the court what's the right course for you is it a conservative management if it's surgery which surgical technique is right and then kind of getting it getting it taken care of so your shoulder doesn't keep popping out all the time exactly yep yeah i totally agree so awesome well i really appreciate your time and expertise on this if people want to learn a little bit about you or find kind of where to contact you or connect with you to come in and see you how do they find you on online yeah absolutely so 
Um, number one, my, my group has a uh, website, you know, we're Orthopedic Associates of Wisconsin. We have a group website that's uh, orthowisconsin.com. Um, I also have my own personal website uh, that is shoulderwisconsin.com. Um, otherwise, our, um, our clinic or office number is 262-303-5155. Perfect. We'll uh, get all those links in the show notes. So if you're uh, dealing with some type of shoulder pain, whether it be instability or something else, and uh, want to see Dr. Killian, uh, make sure you go check out those resources. We uh, couldn't personally hire, <laughs> hire uh, more highly recommend him. Uh, he's helped me take care of my shoulder and try to make sure I don't screw it up too bad. Um, so I uh, would, would definitely, in this case, actually trust him with my own <laughs> shoulder and uh, highly sure. recommend that you, uh, you would as well. So uh, thanks again for the time, and then we'll see everyone on the next episode. Hey, wait a minute. Are you a baseball player that's getting ready for your season right now? Do you want to learn what it takes to keep your arm healthy and perform at a high level all season long? Let's face it, injuries and arm injuries in particular are only expanding in baseball right now. If you get hurt, it is going to impact your development, your ability to compete and help your team, as well as just the fun of playing the sports you love with your teammates and friends. We have a free online mini course that goes through exactly what you need to do to prepare your arm and to keep your arm healthy all season long. You can find this course and sign up at the link in our bio on Instagram at kinetic underscore SMP or in the show notes to this podcast on any of your major podcast platforms. Hit that link, sign up to get access to the course today.